Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Pax. Uh, thank you, everyone, for inviting me to the UK today. Um, good, good afternoon from Los Angeles. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. Um, oh, gosh. <clears throat> oh, you'll see I still have my Christmas tree up because I'm holding on to uh, the light here. I'm just going to keep celebrating until I'm ready to take it down, maybe next week. Um, my sobriety date is April 21st of 2006. Uh, which means that uh, in a couple of months here, if I continue to do what I've been doing since I got here, um, that I'll get to celebrate 15 years sober. So I'm um, getting close to that here. And in, um, I'm actually change it back to a gallery for me so I can see you guys. Um, in, uh, in like Latin tradition, there's this thing to have a big party called a quinceanera. I'm not Latin, but I'm planning on having a giant party when I turn 15, where I wear like a big sparkly ball gown and a tiara and everything. And um, some of my friends in sobriety are having milestone birthdays within like the same week. So one of my dearest friends is turning 35 and one's turning 20. And I've let them know that we're all gonna have this big party together. And if we're not through uh, COVID by then, that's okay, I'm gonna wait. But I'm definitely having a giant 15th birthday party because I believe that when you make it through the 10 to 15 stretch in sobriety, you deserve a huge party. So um, that's what we're going to do. And um, I'll tell you a little bit about my story. You know, this year has been really interesting. I know that it's been intro last year, I should say. I know it's been interesting for a lot of people in different ways. Um, for me, um, at the in the spring of 2020, what happened was um, something that is similar to things that have happened before in my sobriety, but on a bigger scale. What I faced was at many at different times in sobriety, <clears throat> the ground has shaken under my feet, and there are these big upheavals. You know, I think that it's uh, I think that it's popular, you know, when we're speaking to say like, oh my God, I was so bad when I was an alcoholic. And like, then I found God and oh my God, my life's amazing. And that is absolutely true. What is also true is that it's in the valleys that I have grown spiritually. It's when my back is up against the wall that I've grown spiritually. One of my best advisors and friends in Alcoholics Anonymous says, she goes, I don't grow and change when there's like a rainbow outside and sun shining. I grow and change when my back's up against the wall and I've got no other choice a lot of times, you know? When, um, and so this was one of those years for me. This was one of those growth years and, um, and my life got flipped, turned upside down in May of this year. And uh, what was different was that I, at, at the time I had just turned 14 years sober and I sponsor a lot of women and I do the things that we do around here. And I have a big, big, big God and a big higher power. And I'm gonna tell you how I got to all of that. Um, what was different at 14 years was that I had all of that and I had 14 years of sober experience several other times where the ground had shaken under my feet and I knew what it was going to look like and it didn't mean that I wasn't scared sometimes because I when it's something that serious you know, like I'm a, I'm a spiritual woman. I'm a woman of power and principle and purpose. And like, and even like, you know, in the scariest of situations, I waffled too, you know, sometimes I was scared sometimes. And sometimes we do it scared, you know, and we do it uh, walking shoulder to shoulder with the people of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so at 14 years sober, when I stared at this thing that would be the most difficult thing that I would walk through, probably one of the most difficult things in my life so far. I knew undoubtedly that God 
this higher power that I found in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and through this program had me and that God would walk me through this. And that when I got to the other side of the rainbow, um, that I would be closer to God and closer to all of my fellows and sunk deeper into this comfort in my own skin that I've gotten here. And I can tell you from the other side of the rainbow that that is exactly what happened and that is exactly what it feels like, you know? And, um, and I'm so grateful, you know? And I believe, you know, one of my favorite speakers says that I get a blessing so that I can be a blessing. You know, the, the reality is when I'm learning learning something here, sometimes it's not but like a couple hours before somebody calls me and needs help with that very thing. You know, I'm given something so that I can turn it turn around and pass it on to the next person. You know, um, so that's where that's the place that I'm talking to you from today. And it's and it's a beautiful place. You know, whenever I have one of those periods of deep spiritual growth, I'm like, let's see what this is going to look like. This is going to be fun. You know, um, <clears throat> and I also want to give a shout out to outside help. You know, our book calls for sometimes this need for medical professionals and outside help. And, and um, with looking what at, at what I was facing, undoubtedly, like you, you know, you, you had to have some some outside assistance with that. And so <clears throat> I actually have two therapists right now because if one is good, two is better. And, um, and it's super fun, you know, and we get to learn all of this stuff because, you know, I believe a lot of us come from these, um, some tough places, you know, and uh, I was raised and I'll tell you my story. I was raised in an alcoholic home and my dad is my hero and he's my heart and I adore my parents. And I was also hard, hard coded with a lot of stuff that I've had to un code throughout my life. And so um, sometimes, and, and I did a lot of that through an inventory process. And, uh, and sometimes we need more help, you know, and actually um, one of my therapists is not one of us. And it's super fun because I'll tell him, I, I remember I was like having this moment of fear at one point, And I was like, I'm just scared because, you know, my life is changing. And like, I'm super like, um, careful with finances. Like I'm, I'm so organized and type A and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I'm getting this new car. And like, what if like the pandemic goes on and blah, 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 blah. Right. I had written the fear inventory, but I'm still like sitting there talking to my therapist about it. And he just looked at me and he goes, um, he said, that sounds like black and white and catastrophic thinking. And I was like, um, yeah. And I was like, dude, I go from zero to homeless in like a second, you know, and because, and I, cause I have out like, you know, and he's like, and he, to him, it was just, he's so normal. He was like, okay, so have you considered that there's other possibilities? And I'm like, I work on that, you know? And it was just so funny. And it's so funny to have like a therapist who's not one of us because he just calls out how ridiculous I am sometimes, you know? And it's just so fun because like my sponsor is 35 years sober and like she understands the way that I think and we laugh at it, you know? Um, and I'm telling you this to let you know that I continue to take personal inventory. You know, I continue to write fear inventory. I was literally writing a resentment inventory the other night. You know, I continue to take it and I continue to keep that channel clear. When I was laying in bed this morning, I was thinking, I'm speaking at a meeting tomorrow um, over here, and we pick a passage from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and we share on it. And I love pretty much every line of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I am a big book enthusiast. And um, the one that just kind of came to my heart this morning as I sat there with God was, um, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. 
like that is my entire life. You know, um, that's that's every day of my life in Alcoholics Anonymous. And and this key phrase that I'm talking about right now is kept close to him. And so part of this process of continuing to take personal inventory and uncoding things, you know, that might um, disturb me in life, you know, whatever it is, um, I am keeping close to this power that I found here. And I'm going to tell you again how I found it today. So let me get to the linear part of my of my story now. So I come from a long line of alcoholics. Um, my, both of my grandfathers were alcoholic. Both of my parents are alcoholic. And um, ta-da, here I am. And um, I don't believe that it's a requirement to be here. One of my best friends that I got sober with, she says it perfectly. She says that the only thing wrong with her family is that she was in it. And her family, I can, I, I know them and I can attest to it. Like they're lovely. And, um, you know, and she was like an Ivy League, um, you know, drunk. And, uh, and so that, but that's not the experience. That's just not the case with my family. Uh, we are alcoholics. I have my grandfather's big book that was passed down to my dad that was passed down to me. Um, I'm the first person in my family um, to actually get and stay sober with a program of Alcoholics Anonymous. My dad got sober a couple years after I did, which is really rad. My dad's going to be 12 years sober uh, next month. And so we get to share this program. He actually lives down the street from me. And um, and it's just super fun. And, and we're a sober family now today, but that's, uh, that's not how we started out. And so my mama, um, she never, I don't think she ever found the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, she died of cirrhosis when I was 11 years old. So they told her that if she didn't stop drinking, she was going to die. And as an alcoholic woman, I completely understand, you know, um, she couldn't stop drinking, you know, and I can tell you for sure, because I know my mom, uh, she wanted me more than anything in the world. She had these two beautiful blonde little girls and we were tiny, you know, we were, uh, when we lived with my mom by ourselves, we, I come from the South of the United States, like um, Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas. And we were with my mom in Arkansas. I was four years old. My sister was six and my mom's drinking was getting really scary, you know, and I was pouring out bottles of vodka so that mommy would stop drinking and hiding in the closet. And like, you know, all of this stuff was going on. And I can tell you that even though all of that was going on, I knew undoubtedly that my mama wanted me more than anything in the world. And, um, she didn't have the power to make that choice. And as an alcoholic woman, I understand. And, um, and so we were moved out to California when I was six years old. Yes. And, uh, and it's funny, people that know me now ask me like if I was a Southern debutante, like a Southern belle, it, because I mean, you know, knowing me now that would make sense. And I say, no, um, I was a hillbilly. Like it was like the Beverly hillbillies. I don't know if anyone ever saw that. Anyone ever saw that, you know, I later became a sorority girl, you know, of grace and dignity, but it, it was not that way. I had a very thick country accent when I moved to California. And, uh, and if you put me with anybody from that region, for more than 30 seconds, it'll come back like that. And it's super fun. So we moved out to Los Angeles. My mama came out to visit and I saw her getting sicker and sicker. And I saw the disease of alcoholism, but I didn't understand what I was looking at. You know, I just knew that that clear liquid in the bottle was making my mommy sick. And so when she died of cirrhosis, the reason I tell you this is that I vowed that I was never, ever going to drink because I didn't want anything to do with alcohol. It killed my mom. I absolutely hated it. And I went, I went through my life with that, um, with that promise and that belief, um, that proffered temperance pledge, right? And so like I walked through this life and I was not going to drink. And I went away to college when I was 18 years old in San Francisco and I became... Um, 
I worked so hard to like be this person that I wanted to be. And for me, what I wanted to do was live the life that my mom didn't get to live. And so I was, I was intent, I was intent on living this life. She had been in this abusive relationship with a boyfriend and all this stuff. And, you know, my young mind, I just thought like she didn't have the opportunity that I have in front of me and I'm going to live this life and honor my mom by living this big, beautiful life. And so I set out to be somebody and be something. And I became a straight A student. I was um, the top of every organization on campus. Like, look at me, I'm okay. You know, no drink yet. And I was dying inside. You know, I, um, I often hear people talking about feeling this way their whole lives. And I never heard anybody talk about it until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was like, oh my God, you guys felt that way too? You know, and I don't, I'm not a normal person. So I have no clue if normal people feel this way. Don't know, never will be one, not sure. Um, but like, I grew up feeling separate, different and alone. I felt like um, other people got this handbook to life that I didn't get. You know, like we talk about, we talk about here. I believe that I needed a drink at six years old and I got one at 20. And so, um, so I went through this life and like, and for me, what happened was I was actually home in Burbank where I mostly grew up for Christmas break with my friends from high school. And I was 20 years old, junior year of college. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to drink tonight, you know? And again, I'm a straight A student. I'm tutoring the basketball team. I'm on this fast track to success. I'm going to be a, go to law school after college. I'm going to be somebody, I'm going to be something. And, um, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to drink tonight. And I know for sure what was going on for me. I didn't know that alcohol difficulties with alcohol. Uh, I didn't even really know the word alcoholism so much, but like difficulties with alcohol were not a matter of willpower and a question of willpower. I thought that it was, I thought that I was stronger than, than my, than my people that had come before me, you know, um, in Bill's story, there's this line. I was laughing actually the other night it's um, ominous warning, which I failed to heed. And I always used to talk about like certain people I met along the pathway. Okay, let's get real. My entire life and childhood was an ominous warning, which I failed to heed. And like, and so like, but I was like, you know what? I mean, that's such a bummer for you family that you guys didn't have enough strength and willpower to face this liquid in this bottle, but I'm sure that I'll be fine. Um, and I don't know if anybody, um, if you guys had them where you grew up, but I grew up with these things called after school specials on TV. And they looked like, you know, oh, like little Sue, Susie tried alcohol and oh my God, she's like a fall down drunk like two weeks later. And like, that's really what my drinking looked like, you know? And so, and I, I, I kid you not. And like, and because for me, I was like, whoa, you know, I had this half a drink and then I got up to school, back up to school. And it was like this whole thing that I was doing it now, you know, like, and I started drinking and like, I went from that half a drink to drunk every night like that you know, because um, it was a lot of different things going on. You know, for me, um, I had arrived, you know, there was a little bit of that in the beginning. Like, I was like, oh my God, I'm cool. Like I'm, I've arrived, you know, like Bill talks about in Bill's story. I was like, I was like living this lifestyle and I was this cool girl and I was out and drinking. And in a, a little bit in the beginning, it was nightclubs and mini skirts and sparkles and famous people I had watched on TV. And it was like, oh my God, this is so fun, right? I'm living this lifestyle. Um, I'm forging the weapon that will one day turn like a boomerang, right? And like, um, but more, more importantly, alcohol, when it's working for me, it's magical. 
and it has a different effect on me than it has on other people. Alcohol is not my problem. It's my solution. And I know that, um, that there's a lot of newcomers on this meeting. So I just want to tell you um, what, what it means for me to be an alcoholic versus a hard drinker or somebody that just struggles with alcohol. Um, it has a different effect on me than it has on other people. And this is all happening to me. And I don't know that it's happening while it's happening. Um, I have what looks like an allergy to alcohol. When I take it, I cannot tell you what's going to happen. I don't know. Um, I may have like that one glass of wine and go home tonight and go to work tomorrow, or I might steal your car, your wallet and your boyfriend. I'm not real sure. Um, I may be drinking for one night. I may be drinking for 30. You know, I don't know. I have no clue because what happens is that this thing that we call the phenomenon of craving, which is this like abnormal, bizarre, like unreal craving sets in and I'm going to keep going probably. Um, and, and it's bizarre, right? The really cold part about this thing that I suffer from is that I can't stay stopped once I'm stopped. Stone cold sober every single time, knowing what I know, knowing that the consequences are piling up, knowing that my friends are protesting and they're and they're telling me that there's something scary about the way that I drink, knowing that I'm shoulder tapped out of sorority formals and asked to leave, like knowing all these consequences are piling up around me. Um, I drink again, stone cold sober. And so like, that's the cold part about this disease that I suffer from is that it's, I keep fighting with this question of willpower. And so um, the story goes for me is that second semester senior year. So just a little bit after my first drink, uh, I wound up, I stopped going to class. I was 21 units shy of graduation and I was living to drink. I was in a dark bathroom playing sad music with a bottle. And, um, and, and I went down hard and I went down fast and I kept going down from there. That was like the, the midway point, you know? Um, and so I, I went home, you know, um, I don't want to forget to tell you, you know, I remember the day that I was supposed to be graduating college that um, I walked down this big staircase at the university, probably to go to the liquor store. And all of the kids that I had tutored for four years were coming up in their caps and gowns with their families because it was graduation day. And if you had asked me at that point, I would have told you, um, if you had said, hey, Ricky, you know, you're, you're this kid, like you stopped going to class, what is going on with you? We're scared, you know? I would have said, you know what? I am choosing this and I am having fun right now and I deserve to drink. And thank you so much for the information. I'll stop when I want to and that day is not today. And um, that's what I would have told you, but I knew, you know, our book says that we often suspect that we're down for the count. I knew that day. I remember I walked down that staircase and my heart broke into a million pieces because I looked at all these kids achieving this thing that I knew I was going to achieve one day. And I knew in my heart that it would never happen for me um, because I knew this thing had me in its grips, although I wouldn't tell you. You know, um, I, in case I forget to tell you later, I want to let you know that I graduated in a cap and gown on stage at that university when I was two years sober. Um, and my dad cried and it was, you know, magical and beautiful. And when I came to you on April 21st of 2006, it was absolutely never going to happen. And, um, and so I went on from that moment and I got sicker and sicker and sicker and, and, um, you know, and I have this thing, you know, this other thing, the reason I tell you that it's my solution to the newcomers is that I have this thing that we call a spiritual malady or a spiritual sickness. And what that is, is that when I take 
alcohol, something different happens to me than happens to other people, it feels like it fixes me. And it feels like, okay, number one, why didn't you guys tell me that this was going to be the thing that was going to make me feel okay in this world? I would have done it a lot earlier. And number two, if I could just do this every day for the rest of my life, then I might have a shot. You know, when I get, when I got here, people talked about how alcohol saved my life and I get it, you know, because at first it was my solution and I have alcoholism and alcoholism demands treatment and it demands treatment with alcohol or it demands treatment with a 12 step solution. At this point, I'm trying to treat it with alcohol. And um, what happens for me though, is that, um, is that consequences start to pile up and it feels like, you know, the book, I think it's in, yep, it's in Bill's story. It describes it perfectly. It says that it felt like stretched all around me. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. You know, I kept trying to exert my willpower over this thing that seemed to be this magical thing that was working for me and I just couldn't do it. You know, um, I kept trying. I tried, the book says I tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. I tried everything I could to make this thing work for me. And I promise you, as I stood there at 23 years old, turning 24 in a treatment center for the second time with everything broken all around me and inside of me, I would, I would not have stayed here had I not tried everything I could not to be one of us. Um, I tried so hard. I tried to just drink on the weekends with my friends. I tried to just drink a little bit. I tried everything that they go through in the book. I tried everything I could to make this magical solution work for me. Um, and I want to tell you too, you know, <laughs> our book talks about too, like, um, we don't have to, to, to I, for me, I, I went down so hard and I went down so fast and it, and it provides for me drinkers like me in the big book. And it provides for young drinkers and women and like all of that kind of stuff. It I, I remember seeing it and I was like, how did they know? You know, and, and there's actually this story that gives me chills in there about how like, um, you know, this guy like stopped drinking, was having problems, problems with alcohol, um, stayed dry for like part of his life and then drank and was, um, was dead within four years. And every time I read it, the hairs on my arms stand up because that's, um, I didn't drink for my whole life. And when I started drinking, I was nearly dead within four years. Um, and so, you know, it's, I'm all over the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and what it looks like for me when I'm getting loaded is that I hurt anybody that gets in the way of me getting loaded. And it's not because I don't love you. And it's not because I don't care. And it's not because I want to hurt you and newcomers. It's not because I'm a bad person. I thought I was when I got here. Um, it's because I have to get loaded. And it is, it is a need beyond my control. And, um, and it is a, it's a thing that is completely beyond my control. And I hurt everybody that gets in the way of me getting loaded. Um, my dad, as I told you, he's my hero and he always has been. Um, my dad picked my sister and I up out of that scary situation and moved us to Los Angeles and gave us this big, beautiful life. And I wanted for nothing growing up here. Um, he gave us everything he could. My dad is my heart and my hero. And I would never hurt my dad um, through choice. You know, but I, I, I remember so many times with the door slamming behind me, leaving to go get loaded, knowing that he, his heart was breaking on the other side. My daddy didn't know where I slept for months at a time. He would find my car abandoned in parts of town and not know if his kid was dead or alive. And, um, and that's the kind of kid that I am when I'm getting loaded. That's the kind of friend that I am. That's the kind of sister that I am. That's who I am, is that I'm, I have to. 
Um, so this is what I brought to you um, on April 21st of 2006. It was the second time that I attended treatment. Um, what it looked like for me was that I was so broken down because before I would tell you I'm this kid from this school, I'm going to be somebody, I'm going to be something and don't you know who I am and when I'm ready to stop, I will. Uh, on April 21st of 2006, I couldn't buy my own lie anymore. And that girl that I used to be was so far gone that I couldn't even tell you that I used to be her. Um, and I became um, utterly hopeless. I actually remember the moment that I was standing in this room that night looking at this TV screen in a treatment center here in North Hollywood, California. Um, I was, as I said, I was 23 years old. Um, I had pushed everyone away that loved me and cared about me. Um, I couldn't really hold down a job. I always like to say that like I didn't get, I wasn't, I was unemployable because I would, I would leave before you would fire me. Um, so like I couldn't hold down a job. Um, I was 21 units shy of a college degree, but it was so far gone. It was never going to happen. Um, what that hopelessness in my gut felt like that day, I'll never forget it. Uh, I became resigned to the fact that I would live this way for the rest of my life. And I knew for sure that there was no way out. And, um, and if that's anything like you feel, if you're new here with us today, I wanna let you know that we absolutely have a way out. And, it, um, and it's available to everybody. And it's, in, it's outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I needed a sponsor to take me through that book and show me the way out. Because when I read it by myself, I fall asleep. I used to fall asleep. I was trying, you know, and I would, because if I read it by myself, it sounds like this. It sounds like, four score and seven years ago, I was an alcoholic and like, you know, and then I'm like, Ugh. and like, I don't even understand, right? There's words in there. I have a first rate education. I promise you there are words in there that are not in use anymore. And, um, and so I, I needed to go through it with a sponsor and, um, and, and I did, and I'll, and I'll tell you how I got there too, but I had this hopelessness in my gut and, um, and it, and it was about in the beginning, one alcoholic talking to another, the women in that place looked at me and they said, honey, we've been where you've been and worse and our lives are different and better. And we promise you that we have a way out. And I was interested, I had to be for, I was hopeless, you know, and, and I said, okay. And, um, and they said, we want you to, um, to do what we do. You know, if you want what we have, just do what we do. And I was like, I mean, I don't know if I want what you have, but like I'm here and like, I know that, you know, I've got nothing else going on. And like, I mean, I'm willing to give it a shot, you know? And when I got here, I wanted to stay sober just that much more than I wanted to get loaded. And that was all I needed to make a beginning here. And there was this crack in my spirit that maybe just maybe this thing was bigger than me. And that's all I knew. Like, I didn't know I was defeated. I just had a kind of an idea that I was. And so they started telling me about this disease of alcoholism, which I described to you before, and it all made sense. And like, cause I remember I thought that day that I was just a terrible person and that I had, I had lit my life on fire and that I would live this way for the rest of my life. I would die, you know, drunk. And, um, and they said, no, no, no. And so I started to listen to them. And, and, and I said, I remember asking them something really funny. I said, um, Okay, they said, because they said, give us a year, honey. And if you're not happy in a year, you can go back out and drink again. And that made sense to me. And yes, this is a day by day program, but I needed a plan. Even though I had nothing going on, I needed a plan. And um, and I was like, okay, a year, I can do a year because I'm the kid. I was like, um, so excuse me, you mean that I can never drink again ever? And they were like, what do you mean, honey? I was like, okay, because at my wedding, what am I going to do at my wedding? You mean I can't drink champagne at my wedding? And um, I can tell you that I promise you, 
promise you, nobody was trying to marry me on April 21st of 2006. I did not look anything like I look today. I am very proud of the way I look today. I showered before I got on here today. Um, you know, uh, that was not the case on April 21st of 2006. Uh, my hair was yellow, like the color of a highlighter, not blonde. Um, my eyes were dead and dark and dying. They're very bright. I don't know if you can see them on Zoom, but this is how I look most of the time. I'm very animated and very happy. Um, on April 21st of 2006, I couldn't even look you in the eye. I stared at the ground because I was so broken on the inside. Um, I was bloated from all the alcohol and I had this little puffy alcohol belly that hung over my pants. Um, I had, they were too tight. I had, um, I didn't have a bank account. I had a pouch that I carried money around and sometimes when I had it and I had like a pay as you go cell phone um, and no college degree and no promise of any um, meaningful employment. And I needed to know about my wedding and, um, and they were amazing, you know, and, and they said, you know what, honey, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And I was like, okay. And so they said, just give us a year and like jump in with both feet and do everything that we do. And I was like, okay, you know, um, and they also told me to pray. They said, we want you to, to pray. And now I consider myself, I call this lucky. So I don't come from a religious family and I didn't have any, anything that was keeping me from just jumping in and doing what they told me to do. And so I was like, whatever, you know? And so I started praying in the morning. I'd say, God, please keep me sober today. And I'd pray at night and say, thank you for keeping me sober today. And that was the best that I had. And, um, and I got a sponsor when I was in that treatment center and they told me something really important in the beginning that has served me for my entire sobriety. I'm going to tell you right now. They said, honey, we tell the truth through the good, the bad, the indifferent, no matter what we tell the truth. They said, if you lie, little girl, you're going to get loaded. And if you're keeping little secrets over there, you're going to get loaded. And I took them seriously. Um, I want to tell you that I didn't wait for a fifth step to tell my first sponsor all of my deep and dark secrets because I didn't know any better. Uh, when this poor lady picked me up for the first time from my little treatment center, I turned to her in the car and I was like, hey, I have some stuff that I need to tell you. And like I told this lady that I didn't know like all of my secrets because I couldn't sleep at night. I was so ashamed of the things that I had been doing to get loaded and the ways that I had hurt people and all of these things that I couldn't sleep. And, um, and if you're new and you have anything like that kind of shame, I want to let you know it's all been lifted. And I hold my head high and my shoulders back today because of a 12-step process that I've worked here. Um, I don't have any of that guilt and shame. I don't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And um, it's it's what built the woman that, that I am today. And so I turned, though, with all of my little shame and guilt, and I told this lady all of my deep and dark secrets. And she said, honey, she said, you it's okay. You're, you're in the right place now. I did all those things too. And so did everybody at the meeting. You're going to be fine. And because I thought that I was the only person that I had ever done that stuff. And, and I did the best that I could with this woman. And I, and I tried so hard. Um, for anybody that's new here, I want to let you know that I fought like high holy bejeebers to get sober and to get that first year. And if you're in that fight right now with your boxing gloves on, I want to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous and let you know that it gets a lot easier and it gets a lot different. It is a lot easier to get 14 years than it is to get six months and nine months. And I want to welcome you and let you know that I fought like that too, because I have alcoholism, as I said, and it demands treatment and I'm not treating it with alcohol anymore. So then my other only other choice for me is to treat it with a 12-step solution, but that takes time. 
you know, that takes time, time, time. And like, and that sense of ease and comfort that I got from drinking, I have today at my fingertips all of the time with a program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I live in, in complete peace and ease today if I want to, you know, and I have a solution and a way out all the time. And I, I literally in my sweet apartment here, I sit back, you know, like that all the time. And that was what I was looking for from that, from that clear liquid in a bottle, you know, um, and I have that today, but that takes time to get to that place. And so if you're in this place where you're fighting, I, I want to tell you a little bit what it looked like for me struggling to get that first year sober. It was about getting from point A to point B without drinking and getting loaded. It was from getting from point B to point C without getting loaded. And I would talk to this sponsor, this God bless my first sponsor. I would talk to her from like, like on the way to each place because I didn't know what was going to happen because every other time my car just turned on its own and went to get loaded. So what makes me think it's not going to do that now? But I was doing the things they told me to do. I asked this power that I didn't understand to keep me sober. And I did the things they told me to do. And I went to meetings. I sat in the front. And what would happen is um, I would call her from outside of the meeting and I would say, um, okay, so I'm here and I don't want to go inside. Uh, because I'm scared, you know, I'm like all these people know each other. It's like these big bright rooms, you know, and they all seem really happy and I'm terrified. And she would say something perfect to me. She'd say, well, honey, if you don't, you're going to die. So you might want to go inside. And I would go inside. And then I would call her on the way from the meeting to the coffee shop and the same thing. I would say, um, I'm here. They invited me, but I'm sure they really don't want me to go inside. They all know each other and like, you know, shit, I, I'm, I don't want to go in. And she'd say, well, honey, if you don't, you're going to die. So you might want to go inside and have a grilled cheese and some French fries. And, um, and so I would go inside and that's what my first year looked like. It was so hard and I fought to stay here. Um, when I didn't know where to go, I sat on the patio of meeting halls because I knew I was safe there. Um, and so if you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous, I want to welcome you and let you know that, you know, it took time and it, and it started to happen. And so I started doing all the things that we do around here. I had commitments at all the meetings I went to and I started getting to know people. And here I hung out in safe places with safe people. And I did the work to the best of my ability. You know, I did my first trip through the 12 steps the best that I could, the way that my sponsor had her sponsor take her through. I hadn't really touched the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous yet. That was and how she rolled and it was all good you know it was, it was exactly what it needed to be for the time that it was and um and so I did all this stuff right and then um and I'm in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous right I'm like moving on I've got my first year one year two years and and about two 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 and a half years two and a half years I was dying in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous in the middle of the herd um I was Again, your secretary, I was in area service. I was your chip person. I was some people's sponsor. I was doing everything that I thought I was supposed to do. I was praying to this God you guys told me to pray to. And I was thanking God at night. And I was dying in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous because I was uh, restless, irritable, and discontent. And I was like, if this dude shares one more time, I swear to God, I'm going to kill him. 
And, um, and then I was like driving, you know, and like yelling and stuff. I was in this relationship to the best of my ability. And I was screaming in the bathroom because I was afraid. I was terrified of abandonment. I was terrified he was going to cheat on me. Like I said, all this stuff that was hard coded, like, and I didn't know, and I hadn't worked all that out in inventory. I hadn't seen any of it. Hadn't gotten additional outside help, you know, all of this stuff. I was out of my freaking mind at two and a half years sober. And I would hear people talking about having a conscious contact with a high power. And I had no idea what that was. And, um, and I would, I, I was like, I don't think that I have that. Um, because I, what happens for me is that I pray and I feel like nobody's listening. And, um, and I'm not praying all the time. I don't really believe that there's a God that's taking care of stuff for me. I'm terrified of, of what's going to happen with relationships, finances, all this kind of stuff. I would hear women with time talking about feeling comfortable in their own skin. And I remember sitting across the room, absolutely baffled. I knew for sure that I didn't have that because my little heart would race out of my chest when I would walk up to the meeting and my foot would tap in my chair. And I was absolutely terrified and jumping out of my skin at two and a half years sober. Um, and so um, here's the thing is that when I was new, they told me we tell the truth through the good, the bad, the indifferent. And that was one of the first times in sobriety that the ground was shaking under my feet. But you guys told me what to do and I knew what to do with it. I told the truth. I'm an example of the fact that you never have to get loaded to start over in Alcoholics Anonymous or to have a new experience um, ever. And, and that has been my that has been my experience. And and that two and a half years sober, I told the truth. Um, I said, I told people, I was like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. And I've been here for a couple of days and months. And like, I've never been through that book that you guys talk about so much. And I don't know what a conscious contact is. And I don't have, I'm not comfortable in my own skin and I'm terrified. And I think I'm going to drink. And that's the truth. That was the truth for me that day. And the truth has been a lot of things over uh, 14 and a half years. At two and a half years, it was, I don't know what's going on here. At five years, it was, I've done all of this work in Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm, I'm feeling disconnected from God. And I'm, I'm working three jobs and I'm tired, you know, and like, and I need to get plugged back in. And sometimes the truth is I have seven years and I've been resting on my laurels and I need to get doubled back down in Alcoholics Anonymous and I need to sponsor some more people. I'm not doing enough here. And sometimes the truth is I have nine years and I've done something I'm ashamed of and I hurt somebody and I need to fix it. I made a choice that I thought was beyond me. Um, and sometimes the truth is I have 14 years and I'm in a domestic situation that scares the crap out of me and I need help getting out. No matter what it is, I have always been able to tell the truth and I have surrounded myself with the most beautiful people in Alcoholics Anonymous who have never judged me. I can let you know that my sponsor has never once judged me. And I was raised here in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, she, she, um, she's been my sponsor since, since I was two and a half years sober. And so I was like 25 years old. And I want to let you know that I've, I've, I've done it all here, you know, um, so I'll tell you more about that. So, so I told the truth and, and I was told, you know, honey, you might want to go back through the book again and, um, and get it and, you know, have a new experience and that's okay. And so I got the sponsor that I have today. And when she came to meet with me, she had a rubber band holding her big book together. And I said, well, this is going to be good. And I can tell you mine fault. Mine literally, I call them pamphlets. Now the girls that on zoom, they're like, are you holding part of your book? I'm like, hell yeah, it's easier than having the whole book. And so, um, and so, 
this woman had a rubber band holding her big book together and and um and i asked her all my questions i said how do you get a conscious contact with a higher power how do you get comfortable in your own skin how do i stop screaming in the bathroom how do i feel comfortable i don't understand and she said you know how you get all of that stuff honey and i said how she said line by line word by word page by page in the big book of alcoholics anonymous i'm going to take you through and we're going to do what it says and we're going to follow the instructions and we're going to follow the recipe that's outlined in there to stay sober because the big book was created to transmit aa in the mail i should be able to follow the recipe in there and get what we've all got and i'm going to let you know that that's the truth um, and that's what happened for me and she said, um, she said, you need to get a God, honey, because I'm going to fail you. I'm a human power. You can't be sponsor reliant. And it needs to be bigger than the one that you have now, because clearly that's not working for you. And she said, I have good news for you, though. My entire job as your sponsor is to introduce you to a power greater than yourself that can solve all your problems. And that's what we're going to do. And that's what the purpose of this book is. And um, whatever you, whatever your higher power is, you know, guys on here, like whatever, right? I call mine God because it's convenient for me. And like, and mine might be so different than like the four people sitting in the row with me at the meeting. And that's what's cool about this is we get to create whatever our higher power is. Um, and so she said, she said that. And then she said, another thing, honey, she said, you need to pay attention, little girl. And I was like, okay. She's like, you need to know this book back and forth because you need to be able to teach it to other people. I am giving you a roadmap right now to sponsor other women. And that is what we do here. She said, so if you don't understand something, I need to know. You need to understand this book because you need to be able to turn right back around and teach it to other people. And since Tanya started taking me through that book when I was two and a half years sober, I have never shuddered when a woman asked me to sponsor her because I have a roadmap. I know exactly what to do, which is to crack that book open and get started. And um, and it has given me so much, you know, as I said, he, God, right, he or whatever you want to call it, provided what we needed. If we kept close to him and performed his work well, I work for God today. I work for my higher power. My entire job is to focus on helping other people. And what happens is me and my higher power have this really rad deal where like all of my stuff just gets handled in the background. You know, I don't have to sit there and like figure everything out. Like I, I turn my attention and it's the solution that is all over the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's like, oh, you have problems with like relationships. Go help, go help another alcoholic. Like, you know, write the inventory and then go help another alcoholic pray ask god to remove the fear and go help another alcoholic like and like it's all over and that is what my life is every day um i'm in the big book of alcoholics anonymous taking other women through every single day of my life um and it's and what it affords me is a life of peace and freedom um and i'm going to tell you too how i got there and so um it was funny when when pax um asked me he said like what's your you know a favorite line in the big book and i've been asked you know a lot of different things you know lately um i'm a humble servant servant of god for me um lately i've been i've been called to to share at a lot of meetings and this is just where god wants me to be right now it absolutely has nothing to do with me um what at my best um, my prayer that I've actually prayed since the first time I spoke when I was six months sober was God, please speak through me and help me to help somebody else. And then I stay out of it, you know, because it has nothing to do with me. It's me, um, 
conveying to you my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous and, and, you know, literally like, you know, my mouth is just moving and like God, you know, if I'm, if I'm right with God, God is just speaking through me. And that's what we do here. And, um, I was asked, um, Pax asked me like for a line and I was like, you know, honestly, I feel like there's a passage that I share the most, which is in We Agnostics, which is in, uh, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is where our um, second step is. And, um, and I'm going to tell you, tell you how I got there. So I'm going through the big book with Tanya, right? I'm, I'm like, you know, in the beginning of our book, we identify with alcoholism and it's all that stuff that I told you guys about in the beginning. And I start to see myself on every page of this book. And I'm like, yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. Nope, I'm not a hard drinker. I'm an alcoholic because given sufficient reason, I don't stop or moderate, you know, like, and I go through this beginning of this book and then we get to we agnostics. And, um, and there's this passage that I absolutely love. And I, I still remember exactly where I was sitting when I read it with my sponsor. It says, when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, now that can be drunk or dry. Um, crushed by a self-imposed crisis that we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or he is nothing. He either is or he isn't. And, um, and so Tanya asked me this really important question that day. She said, all right, honey, is God everything or is God nothing? And now I'm a straight A student and I know the answer to that question, right? I was like, God is everything. Check, check. Thank you. Best sponsor ever. And like, and she said, oh, really, honey, that's so interesting that you would say that because if God was everything, you wouldn't be screaming in the bathroom and you wouldn't be terrified, you know, um, you would, you would be free and you're not, if God was everything, you would be free and you're not. And I was like, okay, um, may I change my answer, please? I would like God to be everything, but he is not right now. How, I mean, what, right? And, um, and she said, okay, we can work with that, honey. She's like, here's what I want you to do. So the, the big book talks about, and, and there's some like dissenting opinion on this. I feel like sometimes in Alcoholics Anonymous, you don't have to have a concept. You do have to have a concept for me. I have to have a conception of a higher power. I have to have something that I'm going to do business with on a daily basis. I have to know that this thing, I have to imagine that this thing is big enough, especially with what I was facing in May of this year. I got to know that this thing has me and I don't have to understand or profess to understand how it all works. I don't know. You know, I'm like, I feel like maybe there's something to this. You know, I feel like maybe there's something to the fact that if I live a clean and good life, like things go pretty easy for me, like just based on sober experience, that seems right. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I live a very clean life and a principled life. And I focus on service of others. And like, that seems to work, you know, like things go okay for me in this world and they go pretty darn good actually. And so like, right. And so I'm sitting with her. And so the book, the book talks a lot about my conception and my concept of a higher power. Right. But I had never asked myself and nobody had ever asked me up until that day. And Tanya said, all right, honey, I want you to make a list of the power that you have right now. And I want to know what that looks like for you, because something is blocking you from connecting, from consciously contacting. And I had to inventory my existing concept of God. And what I found was wild. What I found is that even though I was not raised in a religious family, I had rolled in all of these like bizarre religious ideas from religions that I had never been a part of. Um, I don't know if I found them on television or like somehow I had this idea of God that wasn't working for me. I believed that God was mean and that he didn't like me. Um, 
there's actually a really funny um oh i'm yeah it's this idea of like you know and it i didn't understand it was like oh everything happens for a reason and like people like well-meaning people say that all the time and like a lot of times that's true but if everything happens for a reason then why did god kill my mom you know um i don't understand right and i have all this stuff that doesn't make sense for me and um and i i don't feel like i feel like god is scorekeeping and that he's out to like god is out to get me and like if i say the wrong thing if i don't pray in the right way then i'm not going to achieve the result even the big book has some information like there's this part that somebody asked me about recently where it says like you know we only we, we never prayed for ourselves only when our prayers bore on our usefulness to others and somebody asked me was that how i pray i was like dude that's not how i pray like i'm like god, i'm like i talk to god about everything all the time i'm like god help you know like whatever i have this great relationship so i had to inventory my current concept of god and it was like this god is too slow it's not big enough to help handle my relationships and my finances if i'm really being honest i don't believe that it's actually taking care of me it doesn't listen and when I pray, I feel like my prayers are only words. I'm starting and ending my prayers in a way that is like super bizarre. I'd be like, you know, I don't even know. It was just a mess. And like, and I wrote all this stuff down and like, there was some good stuff too. Like God has gotten me this far, you know, at this point I'm like two and a half, three years sober. Like that's pretty cool, you know? And like all of this stuff. And I wrote this concept of God that I was actually walking around with this God that I didn't actually believe was taking care of me because that was my truth in that moment. And Tanya told me, I want you to also make a list of a God, a, a higher power that you're completely willing to turn your will and your life over to. If you had to pick a higher power to like drop the keys to, because that's what I'm going to do in the third step. I'm going to doop, doop. I have a new employer. I'm going to drop the keys to Ricky's life, right? What would that need to look like for you to trust it? And I created this concept of God and um, Pax and I were talking. It's funny. Pax came back after I told him that passage and he had a bunch of different lines. And I think what did the flyers say like love is everything and I giggled because I was like that's actually my concept of God and um, I believe for me personally um, I had to create a God that lived in the good because I can't understand why my mom was taken and I can't understand why certain things happen is like bad, you know bad things happen to certain people and like I don't understand all of that I don't know you know, um, for me, God lives in the love and God lives in the good. And um, yeah, actually, there's this really funny story. I wasn't going to tell it, but I am um, one of this. I have a really good friend who kind of helped raise me in Alcoholics Anonymous. And he used to tell this story. He was getting close to about 20 years sober at this point. And this was before I went through this process. And he said, you know, uh, when I was like three years sober, I had this super flashy car. Funnily enough, it's actually the car that I have now. It's a convertible Mustang. And he had this like super cool car. Right. And um, he came out of the meeting one day and his car was gone and he had three years sober and everybody's telling him, you know, um, hey, um, everything happens for a reason. And like, I don't know why your car got stolen and like, but it's going to be OK. And um, and he was like, OK. And like he's hearing that and like well-meaning people say well-meaning things. And, and he's like, OK. And he calls his friend um, in another town that has a lot of time sober. And, and she says, hey, honey, your car got stolen. And he said, yeah, everything happens for a reason. And um, and I don't know like what the reason was. Maybe I'll know one day. I don't know why, you know, my car got stolen, but I'll figure it out. And and she goes, whoa, 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 whoa. She's like, dude, God stole your car. And he's like, well, 
I mean, kind like kind of, I don't know why, but like, and she goes, that sucks. She's like, if you want a God that steals your car, you can have that if you want to, but my God would never steal your car. My God lives in the good and lives in the love. And I believe that my God, and she goes, I think that an alcoholic stole your car probably. And I believe that like God is going to be with you getting rides to meetings without a car. And God's going to help you insure your next car in case something happens to it again. And God's going to help you get a new car. And I believe that God lives in the love and God lives in the good. And he told me this story when I was like a year sober and I didn't understand until I sat there with Tanya and created my concept of God. And so for me, love is everything. And God lives in the middle of one alcoholic talking to another. And, and God lives when I share the love that's inside of me with the love that's inside of you. And, and I look in your eyes and I see God for me. I see the sparkle in people's eyes and, um, and it's everywhere and it's all the good that's around. And, um, and so when he sent that line back, I was like, that's so cool. Cause that's actually my concept of God. That's my personal concept. You don't have to have mine. You get to have whatever you want. Until I took that God with me and he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. And so how do I get close to a God when I've got all this stuff that's blocking me? Um, what I say is that Alcoholics Anonymous absolutely raised me. Um, you guys made me the woman that I am. I, it's not that I just grew chronologically older in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's that you guys raised me. You shaped me into the woman that I am through the 12-step process and through all of the days that you guys have walked me through. My sponsor raised me. You know, I didn't do everything perfect here. I was young and sober. And I would call her, she's amazing. And that's what I wanted to tell you. She's never judged me. And I don't judge the women that I sponsor because my the book tells me, and I wouldn't even think of it, but like the book tells me not to. It says that we don't have an attitude of holier and now than now and that we walk shoulder to shoulder. There's no hierarchy here. I'm not better than anybody. I'm just another alcoholic on the other end of the phone. You know, um, and and that's what my sponsor is with me. She's never been better than me, you know, like she's never portrayed that to me at all. And I've always felt comfortable and safe to tell her the truth through the good, the bad, the indifferent. And that's the woman that I am to the women that I sponsor, you know, um, and uh, and I remember I'll, I'd call her, you know, over the years and when I was younger and I'd say, hey, remember that thing that you told me not to do? And she'd say, yeah, baby, what, what's up? And I'd say, well, I did it and it's on fire and we need to fix it. You know, like I'd, I'd like I'd make the wrong choice or whatever and we'd go clean it up and fix it. And she never judged me, you know, um, and it's amazing. And she walked me through this process and through like this process in four through nine is is where like I I get close, I keep close to God, right? It says like this decision is amazing, but like then I've got all this trash that's blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit, this like e feeling of peace and ease. I've got all this stuff, all these resentments, fears, like um, relation, I call it relationship misconduct, you know, all of this stuff is built up, all of these ways that I've hurt people, you know, in my life. And this process is about cleaning that up so that I get to live free and easy. And I, and in that, in that period, I learn, um, the tools that I need to continue to take personal inventory throughout my life. What personal inventory means for me, I literally call them it out like I did in a fourth step all the way through to character defects. Um, 
it worked then it works now. You know, like if I have a resentment, I take it through the columns for me because I want to live at peace and ease. And for me today, I live at so much peace and ease that it's offensive to me when I'm not that way. I'm like, oh, I don't feel good. Like, let me get that on paper, man. You know, and I get to keep my channel clear and I get to do the things that we do here. You know, um, the way that I describe an amends process is that like, I should be able to turn a grocery store aisle in any part of the world and not be afraid of who I'm going to see on the other side, you know, because I'm a woman of power, principle and purpose and grace and dignity. And you guys built me and you guys raised me that way. And I get to hold my head up high and look this world in the eye because of the work that I've done here. And I, I'm not afraid, even if I turn the corner of the grocery store aisle and it's somebody that I realize I didn't make amends to that I need to, or like whatever it is, no matter what, I hold my head high in this world and I don't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. You know, um, sometimes amends take time. You know, um, I made amends to my daddy a few times with an index card in sobriety. And my dad is super funny. And he thought that that was a moment to be really funny. And he started cracking jokes when I was making my amends to my dad. And I remember the second time I came out and I called, I called Tanya, my sponsor, when it was over. And she said, how did it go, honey? And I said, well, I mean... Like, I kind of like, I know I'm not supposed to have expectations, but I kind of thought that like we would cry and we would hug and like, it wasn't like that at all. He made fun of me and all this stuff. And she goes, well, that's not up to you, honey. Your job is to be a woman of Alcoholics Anonymous and be a daughter to your dad. And so I spent the next 10 years being a daughter to my dad after that moment. I showed up every time he needed me. I rushed over. I answered the phone. My daddy has known where I have slept every night for the last 14 and a half years. And, um, and I was a daughter to my dad. Um, a couple years ago, it was Christmas time. I got a call from my dad that he was in the hospital. And, um, and my dad has never been in the hospital my entire life. We don't, we're very healthy other than this whole alcoholism thing. And, um, and so I, I got a call and my dad, I got there and I was the only kid there. I have two sisters um, when I got there and I looked at my dad and I could tell that he was scared and that he thought he was going to die. And, um, and I said, daddy, what's going on? And, um, and he goes, um, well, kid, you know, and, and it was this thing and it was like internal bleeding. And like, I could just, I know my dad and it looked like he thought he was going to die. And so I thought my dad was going to die. And I was like, dad, where are my sisters? You know, do you want, did you call, did you call them? Do you want me to call them? And he said, no kid, I am. I just called you because I wanted to make sure you were in the room so that somebody sane and sober was here running point for our family during this, what looks like it could be a difficult time. And now that you're here, you can call your sisters. And if that's the only thing that happens in this time in life of sobriety, I will spend every day for the rest of my life trying to pay you back because my daddy is my hero and he didn't know where I slept for months at a time. And he knew undoubtedly when I had 12 years sober that I would be his first call and that I would be there and that I was reliable and able to handle the situation. And you guys raised that woman you guys raised the daughter that he has today. I had none of that when I came here and I didn't know that I wanted it. Um, if you had let me on April 21st of 2006, 
all of the beautiful stuff that's happened in the last 14 and a half years. And it has been a big, beautiful life so far, and it will continue to be. Um, I, in case there's any young people on here, I want to let you know, I thought my life was over when I got here, but I didn't really care. It was beginning. I have had the most big, beautiful, fun life. I've had the most fun I could ever have in the world sober. And uh, I go anywhere I want to go. And I, I go to bed really easy at night. And I'm a daughter to my dad. I'm a sister to my sister. I'm a worker amongst workers. I'm a good friend and a great sponsor. And I do everything. You guys raised me. You made me that way. You know, um, and all of this big, beautiful stuff that I have here. If you had let me on April 21st of 2006, I would have sold it all for a bottle and you didn't let me. You told me that there was a way out and that I could have a different life. And I believed you just enough to do the things that we do around here. And I want to let you know, too, if you want anything that looks like what I have, it is available to you. And it's, as I said, outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's nothing I'm not telling you. There's no secret handshake. It takes a big book, a higher power and some time. And it happens. Um, and so I want to thank you guys for raising the woman that I am today and making um, making me a daughter to my dad and making me the, the woman that walks free and easy in this world. Um, and I owe you every minute of every joy that I've had over the last 14 and a half years. So thank you. And thanks for letting me share here today. Oh, thank you so much, Ricky. Thank you. Thank